Hello, it's me, Dale, or if you prefer, Mr. Seaver. And I come to you during this, the 4 a.m. hour, the deep night, the time of regrets and revelations, and you're listening to another episode of Dale Radio, coming to you, as always, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. And it's a sad time, here with the passing of a great artist, the mystical, radical, intensely sexual being Prince. In his honor, I've poured 100 gallons of purple paint into the Gowanus Canal. It caught fire almost immediately, and the smoke was a beautiful shade of eggplant and bruise before evaporating into the usual gray-green cloud that uh, sits suspended just above what once was water. Yes, Prince was a peculiar one. Before I even knew what sex was, I knew Prince had something to do with it. Like I almost was afraid of buying one of his albums for fear that I might spontaneously be too aroused to walk comfortably out of the Sam Goodies. I felt the same way when Madonna had her album, Like a Virgin. It was too much for my young eyes. I guess I've always been a little prudish when it comes to music, preferring instead to listen to the heroin junkies and alcoholic abusers found in jazz. But we all come around when sex is involved, and I would add when talent is involved. Now, if you combine talent with sex, well, that's certainly what we try to do on this show, isn't it? But truly, Prince was one of a kind and his sudden death has caused another kind of cosmic realignment where we now live in a world without music uh, from him, more music from him. I'm still getting over the big bopper, so you can imagine how I feel. Now, it's not easy when heroes fall. Now, I wasn't a Bowie guy. I don't mind it now, but it never grabbed a hold of me uh, the way the songs Prince did. For years, Ginny and I would sing Nothing Compares to You, which, of course, he wrote with Sinead O'Connor. O'Connor recorded that, and our version, which perhaps was an improvement on Ms. O'Connor's dreary take, was special to us, and for the few audience members who got to hear it, uh, I know they were moved as well. And, and I meant every word when I sang it to Ginny and to other women once we split up, including a very assertive off-duty mail carrier at Gogopah Karaoke in Koreatown. All I can say about that encounter is she delivered me back to my apartment because I started to feel a little queasy from the kimchi sliders. So we mourn Prince uh, today, all this week. I've put my purple satin sheets on the futon. I've teased my hair out, and I insist on being referred to as an unpronounceable symbol, which was a good idea until I ordered takeout. Had a little problem trying to explain... <laughs> to the young fellow who rode his bike over with a samosas. But ultimately, I told him to call me Squiggles, and I'll call him Dan, and we've had a couple of great nights catching up on Kimmy Schmidt. Unbreakable! <laughs> that damn show. I can't stop screaming Unbreakable at odd times during the day. Really gets in your head. Prince was the original gender fluid, wasn't he? I mean, what was going on? Was he just small? Was he straight by something else? I mean, who cares? But thank God someone was there to break open our minds a little bit. I'm pairing the podcast tonight with the tears of doves. Yes. It is briny with hints of olive branch and I'd say a trace amount of cologne. Mm. As if one had just licked the palm of a hand that shook on a piece of cord. Good night, sweet prince.
So what's been going on here at Dale HQ? Well, a whole lot. <laughs> First of all, the reason we're a little off schedule, and I apologize for that, but uh, one, I got a, a cold. I got allergies or a cold. I don't know which one it is, but the sinuses flooded with the uh, excitement of tree sex, filling uh, the whole thing, creating pressure so that I could not sleep. It took me a while to figure out the right kind of medication, the antihistamine regimen to get it in there, but uh, it seems to be working. But that takes you out. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to do something with you that was less than a hundred percent. So uh, I I I, uh, I sat out and just rested. But we also had the big Welk show uh, that was at Joe's Pub in New York City, and the show was incredibly fun. I want to thank Joe's for having us back, and to the cast and the band who believe in that project enough to learn a song, uh, dress up in funny clothes, and sing the heck out of it. <laughs> I mean, truly, this is a great tribute to the Welk Enterprise. If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is the third and We'll see. Maybe last iteration of Wonderful, Wonderful, a retro variety show tribute to Lawrence Welk. And we borrowed the classic look and feel of Lawrence Welk television program and mounted as a modern variety show with odd characters and hot songs and vivid dance numbers. And I realize I'm saying a modern variety show and a retro variety show at the same time, but I guess it's—I guess it could be that, right? You could be something modern and looking back, and that's what we were doing. By, but it was intensely of the moment. Leslie Goshko is my co-conspirator in this endeavor, along with Andrew Bancroft, and everyone was just terrific. I could not have had more fun. Could we have used more people? Listen, that's the exhausting part about producing show shows. That show, but also shows. Not having audience members show up. To put in that, that much into something and to have only a few people see it, well, it stings a little. <laughs> but I remain convinced of the integrity of the project. I know we have so much fun. It's all worth it. Plus, everybody gets paid a little something, so no harm done. And we'll have some great video that we're just starting to release. There's some terrific photos up. Do I lose money on these things? You bet. So much. (laughs) But when you're the voice of America's leading floor wax, it's not as much of a problem as it once was. Plus, I believe strongly that artists should be paid for their work, even if it's a small amount. So we pay a small amount, and we have a great experience, and uh, then we get on to the next thing. Now, one uh, uh, great item to come out of the experience so far was that I got to know the Trumpet Boys. Oh, my gosh, these fellas. They really delivered. They're a comedy trio and horn section I've long admired from afar via social media, and I've been up to see them a couple of times up there in Connecticut. So we're going to have the boys come in and do a little talk sometime soon. That should be fun. And Molly Pope and Salty Brian, all the rest, they just, it was a solid show, so watch the videos. You won't be sorry. Now in other news, oh, I was asked to perform at a talent night and benefit for Pepsi School Art Program. Uh, I guess that is to say the art program that is at her school. Now, again, there could have been more people there. Uh, I think a lot of us try not to promote events like that. But why? It's super awkward, but super enjoyable, isn't it, to get up in front of basically strangers and share your talent for something? Then you see them the next day at drop-off at the school, and it's completely either embarrassing or triumphant. I keep asking Pepsi if there's been any buzz about my performance, but so far everybody's playing it cool. I went on right after the lady from the Nanny Diaries. She wrote the book. She did a reading, a lot of reading. I always find it easy to relate to well to do 20-somethings interacting with rich people. (laughs) That's like the only kind of book I'll read. That and presidential biographies. She went, a couple of poets, they're good. 
And uh, I haven't been to a poetry reading in a while. Ginny and I used to go to some in the Bay Area. Well, the place is lousy with poets. <laughs> but I remember driving out to Walnut Creek and sitting in the back room of a cafe and just watching a woman really go to town with some poetry. Spoken word, I guess it was. And she had the rhythms of a woman denied, of a woman who spied, of a woman who testified. And I could not, for the life of me, stay awake. <laughs> oh, you just get lulled into the rhythm, don't you? And so the next thing I knew, my face and shirt were soaking wet from glass of ice water, forcefully thrown in an attempt to rouse me from my slumber. I gather her girlfriend, who was also a poet, and from the looks of it, a camping instructor, had heard me snoring and took offense. <laughs> I told her there was a job for her if she ever wanted to hang out at one of my shows and wake the audience. We laughed, and in the end, we became co-owners of a timeshare on the Russian River. She could cook a snake, I'll tell you that. So parents' night, luckily, uh, they let me in there uh, as being you know, part of the family, not a parent myself. But I will say this, parents are hungry for comedy. So it was a classic scenario of not knowing what to expect, and then boom, they got blasted in the face with my white-hot observational humor about potlucks and kids' birthday parties. I mean, oh, I could never do that set again in my life. But for one shining moment, it was everything, and it was golden. So good, in fact, uh, was the set that now I think I'm being called on to host the darn thing next year. That's the lesson. Don't be too good at anything. <laughs> You'll be asked to join a committee. Ah. <laughs> oh. I got my shoes shined the other day. In other important news, I don't know why I keep going into this place. It's a subterranean shoe repair place on uh, Bleecker Street in New York. I took one pair of shoes there when they were above ground, and they ruined them. Put some weird thick rubber soles on the shoes that were, 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 uh, had been elegant and beautiful. And then the darn things just fell apart again anyway. But today, I was wearing my reddish-purple shoes, a beautiful shade of, it's not quite mahogany, ah, uh, burgundy, I guess is the word for it. Well, I was hesitating down there, and it was super scary. They do watch repairs, so the guy behind the counter is a little Russian fellow wearing some metal eyepiece that hooks over his head, but it gives him the magnifying sight to be able to look at, I don't know, how watches work, I guess. Anyhow, very Jewish diaspora cyborg going on there. And there's an even smaller guy who is shining shoes. Uh, uh, I don't know if he lives inside the other fella, but he might. Uh, and he had one of those, you know, it's just one of those regulation shoe shine deals with the chair raised up and all that. And there was a guy getting his shoes shined. And these shoes, I swear to you, they were the ugliest shoes I've ever seen. He was dressed like he was a detective in an Agatha Christie mystery on PBS. And the shoes, uh, I want to say they were wicker. They had all these little woven parts on them and just the poorest shade of brown. Well, uh, he, you know what I mean. Just a poor brown. Not a rich and deep, luxurious brown, but a, a terrible, thin brown. And he took forever with these shoes. And I was just kind of in there because I didn't know if I should ascend to the high chair without invitation or if I needed uh, for him to ask me, you know, first. Well, so I was looking at burgundy shoe polish and thinking I can just do this in the office. But the whole reason I wanted to get the shoes shined up there is because they're going to a fancy benefit party with some friends from this program, Kate Berlant, Cola Scola, John Early, and on and on. Just a fun time. But I wanted to look decent. Not too dressy, but decent, like a benefit for the arts. Decent. I love these burgundy shoes but they were a little scuffed up. So I'm there thinking, how do I not end up with shoe polish all over me and my shirt and my dress pants if I get the polish, and as I'm mulling it over, the little shoe shine fella says, shine? And I say, uh, yes, yes, shine. And so I sat there while for another ten minutes he wrapped up the buffing on that old uh, man's, uh, the other fella's uh, wicker flats, 
Incidentally, Wicker Flats is a lovely neighborhood just outside of Tucson. Definitely worth it for the Southwest chicken wrap and a fresh lemonade. Anyway, so he finishes up with a guy. He grabs his briefcase, this fella, because uh, I guess he has mysteries to solve, one of them being why does anybody carry a briefcase anymore? And he hands the guy a buck and walks out. So then it's me. He adjusts my trouser legs, pushing them up above my sock line, and he gets to work. And I can see that his hands are shiny and black from so much polish. I mean, it must never come off. I thought about how his kids must probably think of him and how they think of his hands. Years from now, they'll open up a can of shoe polish and think, Dad. Anyway, he opens a little uh, bottle of uh, creamy brown stuff, like a much softer polished product than I'm used to, and it's a light brown, similar to this fellow's shoes that was next to me. Not a red, not a burgundy. And I was thinking then, boy, I hope he doesn't mess these shoes up. So he blends that in, and then he brushes it off, and it's totally soothing. And I think back to my father's brushes and how he had inherited them from his father and grandfather and how this is such a nice activity for a man to do, for anyone to do, really. I've never done that in New York, and it feels essentially New York to have this done, something from a time gone by. So I try to enjoy it. And then he has a little rag with all different colors on it, you know, little blotches everywhere. And I see him turn it over in his blackened hand to something that looks uh, something like the right color. But it's still very brown. And he rubs that in. Then he gets that light stuff again, and he puts more of that on, erasing the scuffs that have been scratched into the tops of the shoes. He's real gentle around the laces, and it feels like I'm doing a good thing. Then he buffs with some soft cloth, and I can see the shine come up, but I can also see that these shoes are no longer burgundy, friends. He motions that he's done with a nod of his head, and I pay the weird techno watch guy behind the counter $3, and I give the man $2 for a tip, and I walk out into the light. I can't stop looking at these shoes. On one hand, well done, shining back at me uh, this bright light of the spring afternoon. On the other hand, brown. These are brown shoes. The red is gone. I try to look into the shine to see if there's an added uh, depth of color that he somehow brought out through his vigorous buffing. But no, these are brown shoes, no longer burgundy. And so I once again swear to never go into that place. What I'm saying is life is hard for the podcaster, ladies and gentlemen. Life is hard. Have you seen my ad for the floor wax? Please tell me if you do. It's always fun to hear when it airs and people say, Dale, how'd you land that? And I refer them to a previous episode where I explained exactly how it all came to be. It's who you know. That's what they say. And it's true. So my thanks. Uh, let me just name him Tor Blinkerman for bringing me into the lucrative VO fold. I had to join the union, so I haven't actually made any money yet. People say, oh, you must be making so much money. I have not made any money yet, just enough to, enough to cover the initiation fees to join the union. But then I got a card and a pin and a lot of emails. And if anyone's hitting any cool SAG events this weekend, let me know. But something about knowing that this little ad is off there running during the fourth hour of the Today Show or the Chew or reruns of the Brady Bunch on Logo has given me a sense of calm. I had an age milestone recently, and it caused me a little stress. And yes, a little depression. Now, I didn't start a depression podcast about it, but I got sad. But knowing that this ad is there, even if it's only a little money, and even if I never get cash and more voiceover work again, it's given me a little financial breathing room. And I tell you this, I went to the benefit, and at least three people offered that I looked handsome. Now, that can just be something people say, but no one's ever really said that to me. So it perked me up. 
And while I want to believe that it was the weird suit that I bought from Men's Warehouse years ago for a job that wasn't great, I, 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 I think uh, more than the clothes, uh, uh, in this case, it was the man. As I've relaxed into my age right now and some things have worked out right now, I think it shows on my face. It's not that bad to work at a major hand router of flyers and postcards for the musicals and comedies up on Broadway and have a little extra spending money from a voiceover gig for floor wax and also kill during a parent's talent night in a dive bar. I mean, little Dale could not have imagined all that would happen. I figured I'd end up in a dive bar, but the other stuff's just gravy. Now, this benefit I'm talking about, it was a benefit for Ars Nova. It was great fun. Uh, Ars Nova, of course, the theater company, uh, up there in the 50s somewhere, where we put on a version of our wonderful, wonderful. Now, I could have gotten cheap sheets, uh, but I like sitting, and I like booze, and the cheap seats, uh, you didn't get the booze, and you didn't get a seat. So I spent for the better conditions, and I was glad that I did. I had a beautiful spot right in the center of this place, which I guess was some kind of, I don't know if it was a strip club or what, but... Uh, uh, the tickets uh, were roughly the same amount that the theater paid me to do the wonderful, wonderful show last summer. So it's just going right. It's just more and more, I think, new money doesn't exist among friends or nonprofit theater companies. It's just the same amount that keeps circulating back and forth. So if it helps another young, struggling actor like a Jesse Tyler Ferguson or a person with a Netflix special or the cast of Gotham, then by all means, take the money. Take it. Take it. Now, the show was a hit. I had a lot of scotch. But before the show, I met up with some old school chums and had a couple of bites of a truffle mushroom flatbread. Flatbreads are fun. It's like eating a little tween pizza. Someday you'll grow up and leave this hotel bar and the appetizer small plate menu and graduate to the big time with some cheese on your crust. But for now, you delicate flower, you little sad thing that barely holds toppings, now we consume you and can't get enough. I'll tell you how much scotch I had, though, since I paid top dollar anyway. I got home, rolled out of the Uber car, UberX, like I said, it's good to feel flush. And I got inside, Katrina and Pepsi were sleeping, and Lord, did I eat a cold chicken leg and a room-temperature hot dog bun slathered in butter. That bun was so good, ladies and gentlemen. That's what they should serve at the hotel, just buttered hot dog buns. That's going in my recipe book for single people. Anyway, the show, Chelsea Peretti from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Other Pursuits, great, Anna Gasteyer, oh, SNL. She'd recently been a fill-in for Kelly Ripa during a very tense time. Now, I can't tell you how closely I watched Live with Regis and Kelly and the drama that has unfolded since Kathy Lee left. The first 20 minutes of that program, mostly with Kathy and Regis in the old days, in the old show. Kelly was fine with it, too, but it was the most unhinged, celebratory, awkward, most real moments of television I'd ever seen. And I watched every episode of Hee Haw. I remain a Regis fan. He and Joy ate dinner right next to us on a trip to L.A. once, and I've never recovered. So, yes, yes. And through my good friends, uh, the Cocoon Central Dance Team, I made it to the VIP party. I was a VIP, <laughs> wasn't I? After the show, and I had a great time talking with Kate Berlant and her beau and Cole and John, and I just realized that my reporting on such a night at a VIP party benefit is exactly what Regis would have done. Oh, my God, I miss him so much. I do. I did see a guy there, though, and God bless him. He's trying. But he was walking around with his skin pulled back under his hair. I understand he's an older guy, trying to not be an older guy, or not look like one. And we all want to look our best, so I get it. 
But he had this thing where he had like two golf balls for cheekbones, then all the skin pulled back and his hair was dyed brownish but frizzy, so you know it's probably gray under there. And if you're looking at him from across the room, you think, is that person airbrushed into the room? But no, he's real. He was carrying around a full-sized iPad with the brightness turned way up. And I was standing next to the bathrooms for obvious reasons, and he came out of the men's room with the iPad. If you're saying to yourself, yuck, then you're right. That's what I said, and I hope he didn't hear me. But how important are his emails? Some people are gross. Those people are in entertainment. But I hope that Ars Nova raised some money. I know I had a good time. It's warm, finally, and spring is here in New York. It has arrived. Uh, I hope it's lovely wherever you're listening to this today. I want to leave you with a song from our Welk show, so I'm going to do that uh, now. Plenty of time left. Um, now, a few years ago, I had this person on the podcast. And ever since, I've been trying to get her to do one of these tribute shows. In fact, the very first uh, wonderful show was inspired by her. And I thought, you know, I know some talented singers, and they'd be perfect at this. So Molly Pope, she's been through some ups and downs, and she was on my show in season six. She was there with Seton Smith and Dynasty Handbag and her own Andrew Bancroft. I, I want to say that she was married at the time. Well, that's fine. Sometimes that doesn't work out. So uh, someone, she's someone who I know through her many uh, social media posts struggles through some things. But she also has this amazing gift of a voice and a powerful stage presence. And I hope the dark side never swallows her up because she is pure talent. And I know she's destined to be one of the great stars of our time. It was a dream come true to have her on the show singing one of my favorite and most optimistic songs. So let's go now to Joe's Pub on a recent Sunday evening, uh, and you listen to Molly Pope uh, performing before an intimate crowd, and uh, she's accompanied with Leslie Goshko on the piano, and uh, Andrew Bancroft, Steve O'Reilly, Eric Biondo, and Chris Shockwave Sullivan are uh, in the band. So, uh, yes, the best is yet to come. I found a stool. I thought I'd sit on it. almost mating season, you know. Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. You came along and everything's starting to hum. Still, it's a real good bet. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-ups underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine blaze. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be 
tell you that'll do it for me until uh, next time i'll be hanging out my bird feeders that i've made from empty whiskey bottles that are filled with uneaten easter candy now let's get back to that great music that we all enjoy dale radio is written and performed by james Bewley, musical director steve o'reilly season theme composed and performed by shockwave podcast icon for season eight designed by jenny fine listen to dale on itunes soundcloud or stitcher radio and follow the program on Twitter at Dale Radio or on Instagram at Dale Seaver. If you'd like Dale to come to your local VFW or Elks Lodge, simply drop us a line at Dale Radio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You're the best.